0: You're now tuned in to the Brendan King Show. From high above the circle in downtown Indianapolis, here's BK.
1: Oh yeah. Episode 34. Season 2. What's going on? Great to have you in. The studio is a bit more illuminated than usual because Indianapolis, it's the best time of year here on the Circle in downtown Indy. Thank you Kyle Wells. Because it is Christmas time officially. After Thanksgiving, hope everybody had a spectacular Thanksgiving, a great Black Friday if you chose to partake in the crazy shopping. Uh, The lights are on in Indy, on the circle, Christmas tree, festive, elves, music. We are Indy's. I'll tell you what, Indy is a great city. And for events and for what's going on with the college football playoff, awesome. But I'll tell you what. For the month of December, when they do the Christmas tree thing in The Circle, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that if you're within reach, you take a weekend trip. If you have a significant other that likes taking pictures, you as a dude, or I guess as a woman too, if your significant other is a guy that likes taking pictures, but if you're a dude and your significant other likes taking pictures and Feed you in for pictures at every waking hour of every waking day, which is something my mom likes to do. Um, Come down and take your significant other around the circle in downtown Indy. You'll make them very happy. It's Christmas time. Those are BK's winning tips for you to making your significant other happy. Anyway, great time of year. The studio's lit up because of these lights. It's just great vibes right now in Emma's Communications. Uh, Not great vibes if you're in South Bend. Not great vibes if you're in South Bend, especially if you root for a certain football team who got leapfrogged by Oklahoma State in the college football playoff rankings. Even though you win at Stanford and Oklahoma State might get wrecked by Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, but I digress. Uh, Not a great mood in South Bend right now. And again, welcome. Episode 34 brought to you as always by our partners over at Friday Beers. Uh, 25% off right now until New Year's Eve. Uh, Still use the code, but instead of 15% off, the entire damn store is 25% off. Friday Beer Shop, T-H-E-B-R-E-15, 25% off everything. And I realize it's the 15, but if you use the credit, uh, that still tells them that you are listening to the podcast and you got that info here. T-H-E-B-R-E-15, 25% off the Friday Beer Shop. Get you some discounts, get you some gear tell him BK sent you. I've always wanted to say that. Tell him BK sent you. Look, the mood in South Bend right now, and I guess college football playoff wide, is what's Brian Kelly going to do at LSU? Now, Brian Kelly, who I have been able to kind of get used to. He's a he's an acquired taste. Brian Kelly's a very acquired taste. And I'll tell you what's also an acquired taste for Brian Kelly. When they try and feed him the same spicy gumbo that they were feeding Coach O, I think Brian Kelly's going to need a glass of milk in his office down in the bayou. But Look, I understand it. I get it. Brian Kelly's going to LSU because he thinks he's going to have an easier time winning the national championship. Now he's going to get wrecked by Alabama a few times? Absolutely. Is he going to beat Alabama and overcome that hill that is Nick Saban that he's never been able to Topple over? Maybe. He's going to have better players than he did at Notre Dame. He's going to have a better quarterback than he did at Notre Dame. The recruiting base is going to be better than what he had at Notre Dame. Because I think Colin Cowherd said it well, that Cowherd posted a Twitter video and, and basically said that it's tough at Notre Dame, and I know this as a Notre Dame fan and somebody that's worked in South Bend for a long time. It's tough as a Notre Dame coach, To get kids to buy into the historical factor of the university. Kids don't care anymore about what you used to do. Kids only care about what you're going to do for them. And when you're a star college football recruit, you should be selfish. And it should be, hey, what can you do for me right now? I don't give a rat's ass about what this guy did in 1980. I don't care about what this campus was like in 1994. I don't care that movie was made here. I don't care that guy got carried off the field because he was a defensive lineman that was four foot two. He grew up in Joliet. His family was poor. And he got into Notre Dame. It was a great story. Great for Rudy. Kids don't care about that anymore. All kids care about is when they go on the recruiting visit to Alabama, they could shake Nick Saban's hand, take a picture with them, put on the uniform, go in that room that they take the pictures of the kids in, and be like, hey, uh, blessed to receive an offer from Alabama. Uh, thank you, Coach Saban. My recruitment is still open. That's all kids do. And I think Brian Kelly's ahead of the game noticing that. Because trying to get a kid to come to the 574 to a campus that's usually cold and only warm in August and September, and if you're lucky April and May, that's hard. It's really, really hard. And even with the betterments of Notre Dame Stadium and the video board and kind of getting to a 21st century feel, Notre Dame's still a tough sell. And If you're a Notre Dame fan listening, and you're in denial if you don't think so, Notre Dame's a tough sell, and I think it's remarkable that Kelly got to 11 wins this year. I think it's absolutely remarkable when you look at what they lost. I think this year might have been Brian Kelly's best coaching job. The Cincinnati game was a joke, but that was on Jack Cohn, and that was on the quarterbacks. Jack Cohn looked like a freshman playing in that Cincinnati game. What Brian Kelly did this year was incredible, and I don't blame him one bit for going to LSU, but it's the problem that we continue to see in coaching that it's just these sly dudes that basically ghost people. It's like being in a relationship and breaking up with your girlfriend on AIM. You're like, it's not you, it's me. It's George Costanza. It's not you,
2: it's me. Something must have happened. It's not you, it's me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? (laughs) I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. All right, George, it's you. You're
1: damn right it's me. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it. You're damn right it's me. Of course it's Brian Kelly. It's not Notre Dame, it's me. Although, duh. Of course it's you. You wanted the $100 million. You wanted the private jets. Now, it's not anywhere close to what Lincoln Riley's getting. Lincoln Riley at USC will get to that momentarily. But at Notre Dame, they're going to have to make the right hire. They can't afford a Charlie Weiss. They can't afford uh, a Ty Willingham. You got to go out and got to get the right guy. Look, I'm I'm not going to say, I'm not going to beg, I should say. I'm not going to beg for Urban Meyer. But when Urban Meyer says that he's not interested and he's committed to the Jaguars, that tells you all you need to know. I mean, look at Brian Kelly. Look at Lincoln Riley. They've been lying to you for a month straight while their agents have done work for them. And while Lincoln Riley was getting asked about the USC job, I'm sorry, the LSU job, he was backdooring everybody to USC. And while Brian Kelly was getting asked about the NFL, he was backdooring everybody to LSU. It's genius. It's breaking up with your girlfriend the way I am. You don't want to face the questions. You don't want to face the backlash. So you do it and you say goodbye. Now, Brian Kelly could say, oh, I talked in front of my team and I was committed to staying in front of my team. I wanted to make sure I talked to them. At 7 a.m. for four minutes? The video was posted on Barstool Sports. I'm not going to play it here, but the video was posted on Barstool. Brian Kelly talked to his team for four minutes to basically tell them that they deserve to be in the playoff. Of course they deserve to be in the playoff, especially if Alabama loses to Georgia, and especially if the things go go the way that they possibly can in the Big Ten Championship. If Michigan loses to Iowa, if Oklahoma State loses to Baylor, there you go, and especially if Cincinnati loses to Houston, the American. But what what else is Brian Kelly going to say? What else? Is, you go up. Okay, so you break up with your girlfriend through text, and she's like, hey, I want to talk about this. And you're like, okay, I'll talk about it. So you show up, and you're like, you give her the same spiel, and you leave. That's what Brian Kelly did. That's what Brian Kelly did. Now, Nick, Lincoln Riley, good for him. Good for Lincoln Riley. You know, it was just a matter of time. That guy wasn't staying in Oklahoma. He's a good looking dude, he's a great coach. You can sell him. Where do you sell good-looking dudes who also compete as great coaches? Usually California, Arizona, Florida, etc. Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona? You think you could sell him in Scottsdale? Absolutely. Lincoln Riley? Nice little family? You think you could sell him in SoCal? Absolutely. It was just a matter of time for Lincoln Riley. And what did I tell you guys months ago? I told you guys months ago. Months and months. And I did say Urban Meyer to USC. Clearly that didn't happen. But they make that similar splash. Where college football needs a blue blood back. It's just a little bit intriguing though. Of why Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame. Because I don't spread too many conspiracy theories. As that's not my M.O. But. Maybe but. Maybe Maybe, maybe, just maybe, Brian Kelly goes to LSU and Lincoln Riley goes to USC because the playoff is not going to be changing as much as we think it is. Just maybe. Now, I could be totally wrong, but what does a 12-team college football playoff do for Notre Dame? It gets them in every, every single year. Or at least you think so, right? If Notre Dame competes along the same wavelengths that they have the last couple of years, they're in every single season. Right? You can't disagree with that. Well, if Brian Kelly knows he's going to be in the playoff every year for the rest of his career at Notre Dame, why do you leave? Is LSU that sexy? That you would leave Notre Dame, where again, if the rules change like you think they are in the near future, you're going to be competing for a national championship at the college football playoff every year with a 12-team playoff, even an eight-team playoff with Notre Dame in there, right? Even an eight-teamer. So let's say eight-teamer. Is LSU that attractive to where you leave that situation? I, it just it makes me think maybe Brian Kelly's agents have an inkling. And just have that source, that inside knowledge, that things might not go as tipsy-turvy as we think. Look at Lincoln Riley. In a 12-team college football playoff, even Oklahoma in the SEC, which they're going to, and masterful by Lincoln Riley, you get a raise, a massive raise at your school, You push for them to switch conferences and say bye-bye to the Big 12 and literally, again, ghost them and go to the SEC in the near future. And then, after that's confirmed, you pack up and you say goodbye. Masterful by Lincoln Riley. And he's got like four houses now. Good for him. But even in Oklahoma, in the SEC, if they compete, again, it has the caveat. It has the one caveat here for Notre Dame and Oklahoma. They need to compete at the same wavelength they have the last two or three years. But that's the only caveat. If they do, in a 12-team, 18 playoff, Oklahoma and Notre Dame are in every year. Well, maybe Lincoln Riley knows that Oklahoma's going to have a bad time in the SEC. Or maybe he knows that we're not going away from a 14 playoff. It's not set in stone. At one point, it looked like it was. It's kind of gone. It's kind of gone quiet. And the t- playoff being here in Indy in January is very intriguing. But just maybe Kelly and Riley are ahead of the game, where they know at their new stops with the recruiting base that they have, the Bayou and SoCal, they'll have an easier time getting into the playoff than an SEC Oklahoma and an uh, independent Notre Dame who is already having a hard time getting into the four-team playoff. Again, 12-team playoff, eighteen playoff, Notre Dame's in every year. Is LSU that sexy? Is getting spanked by Nick Saban your first couple years that sexy? To leave a sure thing. If... The rules change. It's a question. It's a question. All right, need to talk some NFL. Because I got chastised. Absolutely ripped. Incredibly ripped. For my Justin Fields takes with the Bears. I got mean tweets. I got mean phone calls. I got mean texts. PK, how could you say... That Justin Field should not start for the Bears right now. How could you say that? The Bears strapped him in the first round to play him. Well, clearly they did because they played him. But I didn't realize that people were on my side. Our friend Max Kellerman, who got booted off first take by Stephen A. Smith, I never realized, never saw this clip August 23rd. This is what I was telling you the whole time. And I never saw this clip until now from Max Kellerman. And knowing what you know now about how dysfunctional of a franchise that the Chicago Bears have become, the cycle just continues to roll. The cycle of what the Chicago Bears are. Remember what I told you? You get the head coach. You like the head coach. You have the quarterback. The head coach starts making some Interesting decisions. Fans turn on said coach. You get a bad loss. Fans beg for the head coach to get fired. Fans make excuses for the quarterback. Head coach gets fired. New coach comes in. New coach wins with said quarterback. Quarterback starts making mistakes. It can't be the coach's fault because he's new. It has to be on the quarterback. Quarterback continues to make mistakes. This guy stinks. This guy's traded. This guy released. This guy, bye-bye. Repeat. Rinse, cycle, repeat. Happens every single quarterback and coach for the Bears. And until they get their head out of their ass and they realize it's on management. Nothing will change because Ryan Pace is going to continue firing coaches to save his own behind, and he's going to continue drafting quarterbacks to save his own behind from the Chicago media. Here's Max Kellerman.
0: Andy Dalton, the red rifle, he was once a good quarterback, right? He's still serviceable. Right now, if I'm the Chicago Bears, he's a tackling dummy. He's a tackling dummy until we get that offensive line straightened out. Sorry, that's what I'm doing. Because you can and I know Fields gives you the best of Trubisky and Foles. He can outrun the the defenders and he can throw the ball down the field, right? So behind a bad offensive line, he is safer than, say, Nick Foles. And you can still win, unlike with, say, Mitch Trubisky. But because of all that, I am not getting that kid's head knocked off. That is a terrible line protecting the passer. I want to see them get continuity, build that up, let let Fields get even better, more consistent, and then I'm making the switch, and I'm not looking back for 15 years. Exactly. Don't look
1: back for 15 years. If you sit Fields and you don't put him under the diabolical coaching techniques of Matt Nagy, who everybody is asking to get the hell out of Chicago. Fire Nagy is being chanted at Bulls games. We've reached that point of the cycle, folks. But it's like the Mayan calendar. She's going to keep on rolling. And no matter what the Bears do until the McClaskey sell the team and until Ryan Pace gets the hell out of town, it's just going to continue. And you're going to keep on ruining careers of coaches and young quarterbacks. Mitch Trubisky can't buy a snap with the Bills because of Josh Allen, clearly. And Mitch Trubisky, it might be the next Frank Reich. Frank Reich was a career backup that won a couple games. Maybe Mitch Trubisky wins a couple games as a backup. But now Frank Reich's looked at as a quarterback whisperer. I don't know about that. Uh, But... Now, maybe Mitch starts a coaching career, and maybe Mitch becomes the next Frank Reich where he's looked at as a quarterback whisperer because he was in the, so, he was in the league so damn long under a Hall of Fame quarterback and Jim Kelly. The Bears are going to continue ruining careers, and until they figure out that it's on management, look, it's going to continue happening, guys. It's going to continue happening. Matt Nagy is just a number of the coaches the Bears have ruined. Justin Fields, bless his heart, and I hope not, but he can become a number of the quarterbacks the Bears have ruined. Because they were selfish, and what they had originated to do was to start Andy Dalton. And then guess what? The media came in, and the fans came in, and then management came in, as I told you, to start Justin Fields. Now, the Nick Foles thing never happened, and Nick Foles, for all we know, Nick Foles during games could be in the Portillo's drive-thru and nobody knew he was gone. But Fields getting hurt... And getting the crap knocked out of him from a brutal offensive line, you're just killing the kid's confidence. It doesn't take much. We see that in all sports. It doesn't take much to get the yips. And again, bless Justin Fields' heart. But the Bears are just setting him up for disaster. Absolute disaster. And look at that division now. I mean, maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere now. Kirk Cousins has been decent, the Vikings are decent, the Lions are god-awful, but I want Dan Campbell as my coach more than I want Matt Nagy. Now, are the Bears going to screw up another coaching hire? You're just in the same position you were with Mitch. The only only benefit is that you actually look like you have struck gold in Justin Fields, but if you ruin that kid's confidence, it's bye-bye. It's see ya. It's have a nice day. You're done. Again, Fields clearly has more talent than Mitch ever did. But you putting Fields on that football field instead of Andy Dalton, when you knew it was smarter to take the Mahomes-Alex Smith approach, you got selfish. And you listened to the media. And I'm sorry for fans listening, but you listened too much to the fans. And you listened to too much people begging him to get on that field. And now this guy's got cracked ribs. And now Matt Nagy's in this guy guy's head, and Justin Fields probably thinks, who is this idiot? It's disaster. Absolute disaster. We're going to stick with some NFL. Uh, so one thing that I never got to play for you guys was during my time on the Fan Morning Show with Kevin Bowen, we were lucky enough to have on Sal Pal Antonio from ESPN. Sal Pal was at the Colts-Titans game a couple weeks ago. And then Kevin went up to, him, he was like, hey, you want to come on the show tomorrow? He's like, absolutely. So there you go. Uh, so we're, I think it was great stuff from Sal Pal. We're going to uh, re-air that right now for you guys. Sal Pal Antonio, coming up a little bit later, we're going to get to some BK's big play. I was lucky enough to be able to call the Indiana High School Football State Championships at Lucas Oil Stadium this past Saturday, which was awesome. Great way to ring in 27 at a great time. Uh, got a little highlights. Got some highlights. So... Want to play those? BK's Big Play. We'll also get to our BK's Big Play of the Week. 317 699 2350. The number, as always, BrendanKingshow, gmail.com is the show email. Uh, Friday Beers, 25% off until New Year's Eve. Get you some gear, 25% off. Got to use the code, though, still, T H E B R E 15. Uh, 25% off Friday Beers Shop. Sale Palantonio. This was a cool conversation. Brendan King Show, right now. <laughs> Hey, Sal, it's Brendan. And, you know, when you look at Sunday, after the Sunday night football win against the 49ers, people were starting to bring up, like, Carson Wentz form of old. You mentioned the 14 nothing lead and then the interception in overtime. But I feel like what we saw on Sunday has been a bit of what we've seen all year with Carson at times looking like he did in 17 and 18, but at times as well getting back to that twenty twenty form.
2: Right. So you knew it was going to be a work in progress, um, again, I'd like to place a little blame on my old friend Frank Reich, and I don't know if he listens to this show. He might be mad at me for <laughs> saying this, but uh, he's boy, not too oh happy with
3: me right now, Sal. So, uh, well, you know,
2: twenty carries, twenty rushing attempts. Uh, you got a fourteen to nothing lead. You you definitely have to. Go a little bit more imbalanced and run the football. I mean, Jonathan Taylor having only 16 carries in the game, in my view, in my opinion, it should be nearly double that. He should have had nearly 30 carries. I mean, Derrick Henry had 28 and was only averaging 2.4 a carry. Taylor's averaging 4.4. I would say, big picture, they should have run the ball more, especially with a 14 to nothing lead. Secondly, little picture, come on, we're watching the game. It's the fourth quarter. It's tied up. They have the ball near midfield. I said to my producer, Brian Franey, who was sitting next to me, who's always with me, I said to him, every single play call from here on out needs to be a run play. This was with about six minutes left in the game. And he had him dropping back to pass, and that floored me. And they went nowhere. And that, to me, was a shock. Now, I realize Shane Bowen was playing four across and then four linebackers right behind it. Clearly, the box was stacked. And you could see Carson, and I went back and I looked at it, a couple, a couple of those plays in late in the fourth quarter. Carson's going up to the line of scrimmage and doing the stretch motion, with his two hands checking out of the run, that was called. So at that point, I'm, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm getting in Carson's ear the next play and saying, listen, Carson, love you, respect you, but don't check out of my runs. There's a reason why we want to run the ball. We want to soften this up. We want to take time off the clock. We want to gain some yardage. And then we want to play action off of it. That's the design. Don't be throwing it on first down, even though they've got eight in the box.
3: ESPN Sal Palantonio joining us here on the Fan Morning Show. You hear Sal on NFL matchup, Greg Cosell and Matt Bowen. What, what time does that air uh, every week, Sal? Right. Thanks for, um, for
2: mentioning it. It is uh, ESPN 2
3: on Saturday mornings at 8.30
2: Eastern and ESPN – The Mothership at 6.30, and you can always DVR. You can catch us on demand, and, uh, you know, our ratings are just phenomenal considering our time slots (laughs) because we have such a a loyal audience. I mean, people come and look for the show, and you can get it on demand now, and we're going to be on the YouTube channel soon, probably next week, so we're excited about that. But, yeah, Matt Bowen and Greg Cosell do a great job of breaking down. And, you know, one of the things that they did – Last week was breakdown Ryan Tannehill and a play action pass. So that segues to the Titans without Derrick Henry, right? I mean, uh, the Titans without Derrick Henry are, are, are a completely different football team. There, there, there's absolutely no question. Henry, to me, is the, the most dynamic and dominant player in the National Football League today. And you lose him. Uh, I think even with the loss on Sunday, it means the Colts at 3 and 5 are not out of it i don't think that they're out of it now they have to take care of business against the jets without a doubt on thursday then they got a max nice 10 day layoff and then they get jacksonville at home so you know they've got two winnable very winnable exceptionally winnable games to get back to 500 on the schedule before they have to go to Buffalo and then Tampa comes in on Thanksgiving weekend. So they can right the ship and get the five and five and put a little pressure on the Titans.
3: So I want to go back to Carson Wentz for just a second there. Obviously, you've seen him up close and personal, probably more so than any other national voice out there. Um, Based off what you saw in Philly, how that 10-year ended, where do you think his ceiling is as a quarterback moving forward? Nearing the age of 30, seems like it's going to be at least a two-year trial here in Indianapolis with Frank Reich. Do you think there's top 10 quarterback potential in him and that he can get there? Well, there's a couple
2: of questions there, and I don't think they're answerable right now uh, because of the way things ended on Sunday. So I think you have to take it in little chunks as opposed to big picture. And I understand your question, and it's a good one. I just don't have an answer for it. I don't think anybody does. I think maybe Carson is in a better place. I talked to him before the game on the field a little bit, asked him about Madison. Uh, She's expecting another child. Um, He's happy in Indianapolis, super happy with the coaching staff. Uh, the coaching staff is happy with him. That implosion on Sunday, there's a lot of blame to go around, but Carson is going to take 99.9% of that. And how he processes that in the next game, right? Right? You have to take it really to the next game. You're on a short week. He has to discard the memory of what happened Sunday, play a Jets team that shocked the Bengals, and that's a matchup that's winnable for the Colts, but the Jets can win that game. I think I looked at it before I came on the air. Are the Jets 14-point underdogs in that game? Is that what I saw? Two touchdown favorites for the Colts in that game?
3: I think the last we saw was 10-and-a-half. 10 Ten half. Yeah. So double Ten digits, but but yeah, but not two touchdowns. I, I, saw, I saw one
2: where it was 14. I thought that was a misprint. I, I But still, double digits on a short week is a lot of points to give to the jets. I think this game is going to be close just like the last one. I think it's going to come down to quarterback play quarterback turnovers. And, you know, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm going to get into Carson Wentz every single morning. We're going to sit down. We're going to say, all right, the number one thing is I'm going to do a better job of putting you in a position. So you don't fail like you did Two, You got to help me and this team. You can't throw interceptions like that into overtime. We can't lock in on one receiver. I realize they took Mo Alley talks away from you. Okay, we got, we got it. So it's got to go hand in hand. Big picture I don't think is answerable. I think little picture is in the next two weeks for sure, and I think he can fix it in the next two weeks and win these next two games.
1: Sal, I want to go back to what you said about the AFC South. Ryan Tannehill once looked at as a bust in Miami. He goes to Tennessee. One constant he's always had with the Titans, we were talking about this yesterday, is Derrick Henry. He's never had to perform really without Derrick Henry. So how does this all affect him in the grand scheme of
2: things? Well, I think it's huge because play action is 90% of what they do offensively. And play action means, you know, you have to be able to threaten the run. And when you have Derrick Henry, that's a huge threat. That's a huge threat. So now now it's really up to that offensive coaching staff to design some things that, A, gets Jeff's swing – at the tight end position, more involved. Because right now, hey, listen, you guys were watching the game. When they needed a third down conversion, where did he go? Play action, turn his head around, A.J. Brown on a down and out. How many times did you see the defensive coaching staff exasperated in frustration that they were playing too far off of A.J. Brown beyond too much. the six? Come on. Too much. Come on, we saw it in the press box. How did they not fix that? How did they not fix that? So I think that goes back to Fluss. there's no question about it. So um you know, if I'm if I'm the offensive coaching staff, I say, "All right, Julio, we realize you didn't want to play on that artificial turf in Indy cuz you were worried about your hamstring. We get it. But we need you. You're going to have to suck it up. You're going to have to get out on the field." We're going to have to really do a better job of getting the tight end involved because I don't think that they have him involved so much because Brown is such a beast. I mean, he is just a killer, A.J. Brown. But now teams are going to really focus on A.J. Brown because Derrick Henry is not on the football field. So that's what has to happen. Push Julio onto the field. Make him more of the game plan. Make Swain more of the game plan. But you're not listen, you're not going to beat the Rams. I mean, come on! It's not going to happen. They're, they're going to lose this game against the Rams on Sunday Night Football, and, the, and, the, and if the Colts beat the Jets, then we're having a different conversation next week.
3: Yeah, we'll see. The Colts, obviously, the two arguably probably the two easiest games on their schedule coming up here: with the Jets at home, and then the Jags Gotta at go home. 2-0, right? Gotta, Gotta go two and zero, right? Gotta go two and zero. And then, honestly, Sal, maybe we'll see you back in the building. They they close out November with the Bucks. That's uh, that Thanksgiving Sunday. So, I I know you don't look too far ahead, and obviously a whole lot can change, but uh, if the Colts are able to string a few together, that could be a a big one to close out the month of November.
2: Listen, anytime I can go to Indy and hang out, and the roof is closed, and I can do my stand-ups indoors in a (laughs) climate-controlled situation, at my age, I'm happy to do that. But I'm (laughs) always happy to go to Indy, for sure.
3: We'll get Jim Irsay on that roof closing for you in a heartbeat, Sal, all right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't worry appreciate about it.
2: that. Appreciate it. Hey, you guys call me anytime. Love talking to you. Nice meeting you. And, uh, you know, we'll see you down the road for sure.
3: I loved it, Sal. Again, ESPN 2, 830 Saturdays, ESPN 6 o'clock on Sundays at the ESPN NFL matchup. Sal, have a great week. Thank you for the time.
2: Yeah, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate being on the show very much. Thank you. ESPN, Sal Pal
1: Antonio Grew up watching Sal Pal. I mean, the best Sal Pal memory I have was the uh, Bart Scott. Can't wait. That's just classic. Absolute classic. Uh, as said, BK's big play. Got to get to some as it was really cool this past weekend to be on the call, the IHSAA Football State Finals. So, some BK's big play right now. Oh two. 2 I was on the call for the Fighting Dan Dockiches, the Andrean 59ers, the alma mater of Dan Dockich, where Bob Knight recruited the legendary Double D against the Fighting Olivia Rays, sports reporter for Wish TV. Olivia and I actually, it's kind of funny, Olivia was a sports reporter for WSBT in South Bend during my first tenure up there, and then now she's an Indy with Wish. So uh, Olivia's from Evansville. She went to Evansville Modern Day. So it was the Fighting Dan Dockiches against the Evansville Modern Day, the Fighting Olivia Rays. Uh, And here's just a quick highlight package. had a great time doing it. Third and five, that Andrean sideline making some noise. Two wide receivers up top, one down low. Wunderlich in the shotgun. The tall quarterback fakes a handoff. Throwing left. Intercepted. Andrean, another turnover. And they'll take over in spectacular field position. James Mantell,
0: his fourth interception this year was intended for number 19, Ethan Stoles, and again, he is one of their leading receivers, but for about the fourth time now, Andrean has excellent field position. So far, no points to show for it. And the last time they had this type of field position, Jim, it was right along the same marker yep. towards the
1: 40 of modern day. They did nothing with it. 7.44 to go, second quarter, no score. Valentine from the pistol. Dual wide receivers each side. Valentine, here comes the rush. Valentine goes down. Nicholas Boots in
0: there. It's his fifth sack of the year. Well, again, one of those deals where Tyler Martin was there first and forced the quarterback to his left, which is not where he wanted to go. And then Boots, like you said, was able to uh, wrap it up there. Those are not boos coming from the modern-day sideline. <laughs> those are Boots.
1: It's fourth and 11 the ball on the modern day 26-yard line and andrean's gonna go for a field goal it's Nico tovar who is six of eight on field goals this year 44 yards is his long ball in the middle of the ashes tovar the short stocky kicker is blocked evansville modern day picks it up the ball is on the near sideline 30-yard
0: line and they'll take it out of bounds we remain scoreless well, excellent job by Modern Day right up the middle. When it, when a kid has to kick a longer field goal, the trajectory is a little bit lower. That's where you go to get it if you want to get it. And credit the Andrean offense or PAT field goal team for continuing to play through the play. I've seen before where teams go, ah, how they block it, they all just kind of quit playing. That would have been a touchdown to the 47-yard line. It goes again. Modern
1: Day maneuvering from right to left. The ball is along the right hash. North of the Indianapolis Colts helmet logo in the middle of Lucas Oil Stadium. Wunderlich, take a handoff, passing, stretching, 25-yard line caught. It's Ethan Stoles, and
0: Ethan Stoles will be ripped down and out of bounds at the 18. Once again, it's the same route, only now this time to the left. You know, they're playing cover two, two deep safeties in the middle of the field, and they're just kind of pressing the middle of the field and then cutting out, and those defenders aren't able to get there in time. Nice ball by Wunderlich. Ethan Stoles was the leading receiver in the first half for modern day. Second and 11, Wunderlich, the tall quarterback. Faked a handoff to Pierre, he now takes it himself, and Wunderlich breaks to the 10, near pylon, touchdown! Just a fantastic job of the quarterback riding and reading and riding and reading. He held it as long as he could, put the ball in Pierre's belly. Pierre did a great ball fake, and then he's able to get in. Mason Wonderlick on the read option. And for the first time today, we have points. There is an Andrean player down. That's Robert Gonzalez, number 57. He's down on the field here, so the training staff will attend to him. But, again, a fantastic job by the quarterback on the the read option. It's the seventh rushing touchdown,
1: Jim, for Mason Wunderlich. He may be a big guy, but he can use his legs. Two and a half to play in the third quarter. The ball on the Evansville modern day, 29-yard line. Two wide receivers to the right of Ballantyne. They run up the middle. It's Drake Bowen again. Drake Bowen breaks to the far side, and Drake Bowen's got blue turf in front
0: of him. It's a touchdown. Well, they ran the ball straight ahead, Brennan. They just got, again, got him to the line of scrimmage, run to daylight. He he was kind of running into the left A-gap, decided to plant his right foot, cut back, and he was just, after that, just impossible to catch. 16th touchdown on the year for Bowen
1: tie game at six and here's the opportunity at the PAT The IHSAA Football State Finals, Lucas Oil Stadium, that's on the Class 2A side. Had a lot of fun. I mean, great times. Jim Leisure, our entire crew. Leisure is my broadcast partner, who you heard from in those highlights. And first game at Lucas Oil Stadium as well. So I think everybody had a great time and, you know, hopefully the first of many over at Lucas Oil. So, I mean, great experience. It was really high up there. I mean, really high up. I've never needed binoculars to call a game before, but yeah, that was, that was one of the first. I mean you take that elevator up to the Lucas Oil Stadium press box, I mean, it is it is elevated to a T. I mean, really, really high up there. So uh, last thing I want to touch on before we say so long is Major League Baseball. I've gotten some questions the last couple of weeks. If Major League Baseball is going to a player stoppage, work stoppage, lockout or not, I don't know, and... I guess my answer would be it wouldn't surprise me just based off of what we've seen from the owners and players the last few years. I mean, remember, last year during COVID, we did not get baseball until July 1, where it was a 60-game season. Players when and where was the big hashtag and saying that everybody was going with when and where. Tell us when and where. But also, I mean, the Players Association, they weren't doing themselves any favors by kind of looking like jackasses that whole time. So will we go to a work stoppage? I don't know. I hope not. But just based off of them not being able to agree on a 60-game season last year and them taking so long to do so when they could have played pretty much all throughout the pandemic, uh, I I don't know. And again, I I put it on the owners. I put it on on the players too. I put it on everybody involved because they're all very bullheaded and they're never going to come to a consensus – that fully helps both sides. They're what they will come to is one side being moderately happy with with what is presented, and one side being very happy with what is presented. There's always going to be a side that doesn't fully get what they want, and you're going to see that in every single sport. That's why lockouts happen. I mean, that's why you've seen a lockout in every sport the last decade. That's how it goes. I mean, or decade, you know, decade or in change, whatever, whenever the NFL one was. But, um, you know. It, it's when it comes down to it, it's about money. That's what it's all about. It's about money. But the second question a lot of people have been asking me is would that impact a minor league season? And the answer is no. When the NHL went on lockout in 2012 13, you know, they came back in January to play like 50 games. So, similar to what we saw in COVID last year. But they came back to play like 50 games, and the minor league season, the American Hockey League, and the East Coast League that you see here in Indy with the Indy Fuel, uh, they all played, and they all started in October, no problem. The and the thing about a lockout is, I'm not saying that you know Mike Trout's going to go play triple A ball, but Mike Trout might go to like a Korea or a Japan because during the lockout that we saw in 12 and 13 with the hockey with the National Hockey League. In the American League, you saw pretty damn good hockey players going to play in the minor league level. Uh, that Ones that come to mind, I remember watching Chicago Wolves games, and they were playing Oklahoma City at the time, and Oklahoma City was the Edmonton affiliate. And Edmonton, during the lockout, they had like Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing down there. And if you guys know anything about hockey, I mean, those are two... Top three draft picks, number one draft picks, that is by the Edmonton Oilers. So, uh, in baseball, again, I don't think Mike Trout's going to go play AAA ball, but if there's a lockout in baseball, guys are eligible to go play if they want. They're still on their contract. So, does that mean they go play minor league ball? Does that mean they play AAA? Does that mean they go play Korea? Does that mean they go play in, you know, in Cuba or Venezuela or what? Or the Dominican or whatever. But, Uh, Is it going to impact the minor league season? The answer is no. Um, The the minor league season, per the rules right now, which obviously can change, uh, per what we know right now, the minor league season would still go. So now that I am officially a go in South Bend next year, uh, me, Max Toma, in the booth, uh, it's going to be awesome. Chris Hagstrom heads up the media department with South Bend. You know, if there's a lockout, you guys want to watch some baseball coming up. Yeah, you know, it's 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 relatively short. Uh and we'll get you tickets, we'll get you in the booth. Just let me know. Seriously. No, if you want tickets, let me know. Anytime. If you're a listener of this podcast, truly anytime. I would be happy to. It'd be great to see you. It's just going to be nice to have like a full normal like book-by-book book type of season because last year when I went up to South Bend to do those marquee games and when I was broadcasting with the Indianapolis Indians I wasn't allowed on the field. We were doing road games remotely, at least with AAA Indianapolis. I um, wasn't allowed on the field it w- with the Indians. With the Cubs I could go on the field. I just couldn't really get close. I mean, the best part about being a minor league baseball broadcaster, and I think baseball broadcaster in general because the same thing at the major league level, but at least being a minor league baseball broadcaster, one thing I've really enjoyed is you you develop a routine so on the field before every game you go down and you watch bp and you hang by the cage and you talk to guys and you get close and you're up you're watching swings you're talking to coaches you're getting the things that you usually do not get like on a bus or in the clubhouse like when you're on the field and you're seeing guys actually work out and swing that's when you get your best stuff best stuff by bar none When you're on the field and you're watching BP and you get to ask a guy, hey, how'd that round feel? And then they give you, in return, like some really good nuggets. You can use that on the broadcast. I mean, that is is why you become a broadcaster, to get that up-close type of feel. And with the Colts, like I wasn't allowed on the field this past Sunday, but look, I watched the Tom Brady fourth-quarter game-winning drive. And that was really damn cool. it was at the expense of the Colts, and the Colts not giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor 26 plays in a row was egregious. And Frank Wright could say whatever he wants. Frank Wright could say whatever he wants about RPOs and checking out of runs. Look, Frank, I hate to break it to you. When you still check out of runs, regardless if that's you or if that's Carson Wentz, when you check out of runs, that's still getting away from the run. When you check out of runs, that's still getting away from the run. And a team whose mantra is, run the damn ball, that is absurd. Um, You ask anybody around here that knows football, and they'll tell you that it was egregious, that Jonathan Taylor did not touch the ball for 26 straight plays. And the one time he did touch the ball before then, it was a loss of three yards. They threw him a screen pass. What the hell you run screen passes or fade passes for Jonathan Taylor? You give him the ball, and you tell him to run it. And you tell him to run it down their throats. I don't care if it's Tampa. Because what happened when you gave Jonathan Taylor the ball in the fourth quarter? He went on a drive and they went to score. With ease. Just saying. Frank, you could say whatever you want, Frank. You could say they're RPOs. You could say you check out of runs. When you run RPOs and when you check out of runs and they're not scheduled runs, that is getting away from the run. And you got a viable MVP candidate right there. And you got the guy that leads the league in rushing. Now, if Derrick Henry was around, he would not be lead- leading the league in rushing. But... Jonathan Taylor leads the league in rushing for a reason. It's not because of luck. It's not because you just give him the ball all the time he just has chunk runs. No, it's because he's usually averaging five, six yards a run, and you give the ball to your MVP candidate. You give it to him. Got to. Absolutely got to. Uh, BK Show, Episode 34, Season 2. Really excited about what we have coming up here in the next few weeks. We are going to be running on... Uh, ninety three five one zero seven five The Fan Network, Indiana. The show I host during the summers in for Coach Lovell, Coach Bob Lovell, Indiana Sports Talk. We're going to be running a special on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And from that special, we're going to be compiling interviews from all kinds of personalities from around Indiana and around the Midwest. And I'm excited to share those with you on the podcast. Those are coming up over the next month. Great time of year. Again, I look outside the studio right now. It's lit up. The studio lights are off. Kind of got to have a vibe like that. I vibe with – stu- when the, when I'm in studio at night, I, lights are off, and especially in December when you have those Christmas lights, they illuminate the studio and they're just fantastic. So uh, that's coming up over the next month. Friday beers, 25% off. If you need to do the holiday shopping, get it done early. Highly recommended uh, so that you're not waiting in line on December 23rd and you're like, oh, man, my cousin needs a gift. Buy a shirt right now. T-H-E-B-R-E-15, 25% off until New Year's Eve, Friday beers. The whole store, entire store, is 25% off, by the way. Entire store. Uh, Sal Pal Antonio was terrific to talk to you earlier this month on The Fan. I still have a few of those interviews. I still have not dropped it on the pod, so might mix those in Salt bay style as well over the next month. But we have a busy time in Indy. About a month away from the national championship. Let's go. See ya.